0: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the history of poetry, these might be the most famous lines ever written. What images, what feelings, what thoughts come to mind when I say the words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Do images of home, of family, of the faith of a parent or a grandparent come to mind? Does the image of being comforted during a time of grief. There's a sense of unwavering faith and hope. Songs have the power to do that to us. Poems have the power to do that to us. Art has the power to do that. There are things from my childhood that can just make me feel happy and safe and joyful. Like some of the movies I watched over and over when I was a kid. The Sandlot, Rookie of the Year, Little Big League, and Space Jam. May they never make a sequel. These movies are not nearly good enough to be remembered the way they are in my heart. And yet, as soon as I see one on cable TV, I am immediately transported back to the childhood of my childhood. Um... (laughs) of summers spent hanging outside at the pool every day, and I grab my phone and immediately text my brother in all caps, Space Jam VH1. Growing up during dinner, my mom would put on a Garth Brooks album. It's just what we did when we had dinner. And on long road trips, my mom would play Garth Brooks cassettes in the van as we drove down 95. And now, whenever I hear an old Garth Brooks song, I'm not talking about like Friends in Low Places, I'm talking about the songs you've never heard, the B-sides, the deep cuts. There's a feeling of happiness and nostalgia that washes over me. I'm a kid eating my mom's mashed potatoes, or we're driving down 95 about to go on vacation. Songs, movies, art can connect us to our past. They can create in us feelings and memories and resonances. They can transport us to places and make us feel things. For many Christians, Psalm 23 has that power. For many people, some of whom might no longer have faith, but have grown up with this psalm, for them, these words are comforting, beautiful, and create a sense of hope and faith and love. There are also people who hear Psalm 23, and it carries different memories, different resonances. They remember this psalm being said at a loved one's funeral. This psalm carries with it the sadness of grief and loss. Yes, it is hopeful. Yes, it is beautiful. But it reminds them of the people that were such an integral part of their lives and are no longer here. It reminds them of the whole, the space in their life that they long to still be occupied. We're going to talk about Psalm 23 this morning. And from the start, I want to acknowledge that as powerful as this psalm is, equally as powerful might be the memories or things you associate with this psalm. Maybe you remember your mother or grandmother reciting this psalm from memory, and it is for you the encapsulation of what faith is. Maybe you remember a pastor reciting this psalm as you said goodbye to your mother or grandmother, and this encapsulates what it is to grieve and to suffer loss. Maybe you don't have any associations with this psalm, but are now maybe feeling a sense of loss for events and experiences you have never had. Whatever feelings you have as I read this psalm, just feel them. Just experience them. Let them wash over you. And then we'll talk about the things that create these feelings and experiences, what is behind this psalm that makes it among the most powerful, certainly the most popular, and the most quoted of all the psalms, but for now, I just want to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Now let's go back through it. Piece by piece. And look at what is going on this song the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing the bulk of this song is an extended metaphor metaphors by nature compare two things that are not related uh, for the sake of the one defining the other it's been world cup season pastor matt when are you going to stop talking about soccer but it means that we have heard things like cristiano Ronaldo is the lebron james of soccer Now, Ronaldo and LeBron are nowhere close to being the same person. In fact, there aren't many points of comparison between them. Except for the fact that they are both among the best to ever play their respective sports, and their physical dominance, we just haven't seen athletes like them in soccer or basketball, is key to their dominance. When the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's employing a metaphor. But he needs to explain the ways in which God is like a shepherd, because there are many ways in which God is not like a shepherd. Shepherds stayed out with the animals in the fields 24-7, so they were smelly, dirty, and unkempt. Have you ever been to a petting zoo? For a while. It don't smell good. Being a shepherd was not really a prized possession in ancient times. There's a story in the Bible where the prophet Samuel goes to find the next king of Israel, and God sends sends him to a man who has a number of sons. All of the elder sons are paraded in front of Samuel, and Samuel himself sees some potential in the group, but God doesn't. God rejects all of the elder sons. So Samuel says to the father, have you any other sons? And the father says that there is still the youngest, but he is out with the animals tending to the herd. He is out there because tending to the herd was the job for the lowest, for the youngest, for the one who couldn't claim seniority over anyone else. You know when that call comes into the office and the most recent hired person has to take it because everyone else says, "Uh uh-uh? That's being a shepherd in ancient times. It goes to the one who couldn't say no. So saying God is like a shepherd is a metaphor that needs defining. Because far as I know, God is not smelly, God is not dirty, God is not unkempt, and God is not the lowest. So what does it mean for God to be a shepherd? The psalmist is going to tell us. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. We got part of the definition in the the first part that I read, and here we get it in full. God is like our shepherd in that he takes care of us the way a shepherd would care for a sheep. A shepherd's job was to ensure that the sheep of his fold were well cared for, that they wanted for nothing. When they needed rest, the shepherd called them to rest. When they needed water, the shepherd brought them water. When a sheep was hurt or sick, the shepherd oversaw their care until they were restored. But here's the deal We shouldn't like this metaphor. Because in this metaphor, God gets to be the good shepherd, and you know what we get to be? Sheep. And you know what sheep are? Sheep are dumb. Sheep are real dumb. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals that exist. In fact, the fluffy sheep that we have that make us wool, and we can make pictures of using cotton balls, don't really exist in the wild. They don't exist outside the perfect conditions offered by human beings. Wild sheep are thinner. They have much shorter hair, something that it would be really painful to make clothes out of, and have giant curved horns. And their hair is auburn or brown. These are not the cute things that you let your kids feed at the petting zoo. The reason that the sheep that we would recognize couldn't exist outside of human protection is partly due to the fact that sheep have no natural ways of defending themselves, and also because they're, again, really dumb animals. They will wander right off into danger if left unattended. So when the psalmist talks about sheep, or the shepherd leading the sheep in right paths, it is precisely because sheep lack direction. And the ways in which they would lead themselves will more often than not lead them right into danger. When we talk about God being our shepherd, when we talk about Jesus being the good shepherd, how often do we think of ourselves as sheep? When we say we need God to lead us in right paths, how much are we acknowledging our own inability to lead ourselves? Domesticated sheep, were it not for human domestication and protection, would not exist in the same form that they do now. These sheep either would have been devoured by predators or would have had to adapt to being in the natural environment. They would have had to mutate. They would have had to physically change to be able to defend itself, to be more agile, and to hide from the threats that nature provides. How often do we realize this is precisely the case with us? If God did not provide for our needs, if God was not in our lives, if God wasn't leading us, healing us, and loving us, where would we be? Would we become changed, mutated? Would we hide ourselves away lest we get hurt? Would we develop ways of hurting others before they could hurt us? Would we become more agile, leaving people, places, or situations before we got hurt? In my life, I have done all of this. I have become more defensive. I have built up guards and built walls. I have become more agile, able to sense the possibility of my being hurt so that I can leave preemptive. Where would you be if God were not leading you Down the right, path? Because, you see, when God is our shepherd, we develop an ability to trust, to risk to be vulnerable. Being in a herd, being in an open pasture is to be vulnerable. You're out in the open in full view of predators just sitting there hanging out looking delicious. Being in a herd in a pasture is to trust. It is to trust that the shepherd will keep you will keep away the things that can harm you. Keep them at bay. And that even if ill should befall you, the shepherd will make you whole again. It is this feeling, this sense that the psalmist turns to next. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The way some of you might have heard this translated is that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You see, this psalm doesn't suggest that being in God's fold means life will be fine. It doesn't mean that our existence is safe forever in green pastures beside Stillwater. Threats exist. There are dark valleys. Following the Good Shepherd, being in the fold, doesn't mean we won't face danger or threat. Love and trust don't promise safety. Nor do they promise safety. But what it does mean is that we won't fear. As Brenda put it so wonderfully last month, the opposite of faith is a doubt. It's fear. Having faith in our Shepherd doesn't mean we insist that harm won't befall us, or we doubt our safety. It means we do not fear walking through that darkest valley. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In this next line, the danger and the threats remain. We are still in the presence of enemies. We are still surrounded by those who seek to do us harm. But what does our God, what does our shepherd do? Prepares a table. There is a table prepared in the presence of our enemies. When I think of a table prepared, I think of peace. I think of comfort. I think of love. When do we sit at prepared tables? It is in the company of loved ones, right? Be they friends or family. The love, the friendship, the respect that is needed in order for someone to prepare a table for you is a method. A prepared table takes time. A prepared table takes effort. A prepared table takes space and freedom to prepare the table. Can you imagine sitting down to a prepared table whilst surrounded by your enemies? What hedge, what measure of protection would you need to sit down at a prepared table in the midst of your enemies? Because think about it. When we sit down at a prepared table, we are again vulnerable. We are lounging. We are indulging. We are just chilling. No one prepares them excellent table scale, which I've told us a little bit. And then eats a quick meal. You don't walk down a meal with, a, with an immaculate centerpiece seven forks You might only use one of the quarters, but You don't walk the eat. Sitting down at a prepared table is to take leisure in the presence of those who wish you harm. The same level of protection, time, and freedom that would allow a table to be prepared is required to sit down and to enjoy the preparation. When we can trust at that level, we taste the goodness of the Lord. We see that our cup runneth over. We see that we are anointed and blessed. We can see the abundance of our God. We see gift where others see scarcity or fear. And we learn the lesson. On which the Psalm ends. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you notice how I called it the valley of the shadow of death earlier, and then didn't talk about death? I just went back to the darkness. the things we fear most, if not the things we fear most, is death. Our own death. The death of people we care deeply about and rely on. The darkest valley can refer to many things, but chief among them is the valley of the shadow of death. And this final line connects trusting and loving our shepherd with how we approach death. Based on all we have talked about so far, on how God sees to our needs, how God cares for us and provides for us, how God leads us to health and happiness, and we do not fear even as danger surrounds us, it is not too far of a stretch to say that if we truly believe this and follow our good shepherd, goodness and love will be our constant companion. Goodness and love are the attributes of the shepherd that we have spoken of thus far. And if we stay within the herd, we will be surrounded by the goodness and love of our shepherd. So it is with God. If we love and trust and follow, we will be surrounded by the goodness and the love of our God. Then the writer talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. This is a reference to the afterlife, because I don't know about you, but I don't plan to dwell forever anywhere in the that teenage immortality stage In the valley of the shadow of death, our writer fears no evil and then professes faith that even in death he will dwell with God forever. I think the greatest test of our faith is how we face death. Do we shrink from it in fear? Do we let anxiety about mortality cripple us? Is it the great enemy against which we need to fight with all of our strength? I'm rereading the Harry Potter books this summer, and in the first one, Dumbledore has this great quote. Harry has just reacted incredulously at the notion that someone might welcome death, or at least make a choice that would ensure that person's death. Then Dumbledore remarks, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. If the goodness and love of God follow us all the days of our lives, I imagine we might feel that as death approaches, it is but the next path our shepherd leads us on for his name's sake. I think this is why we read this psalm at funerals, Because it speaks of a hope and a faith that few of us possess for very long. And many of us only feel from time to time but it's a faith that leads and guides and sustains through all life's trials, death most especially. If we can believe that goodness and love are with us, even as we face the death of a loved one, surely we can face our own death, believing that we can dwell with God forever. Can I be honest as we close? I don't always have this faith. I don't always believe everything I read through. If our words and our actions betray our innermost beliefs, mine would betray the need for self-reliance rather than a desire to be led by my shepherd. More often than not, I'm a sheep, a dumb sheep, that tries to go off course, go my own way, and sees the rod and the staff as annoyances as barriers to the life I want to lead. I'm terrified in dark valleys. I'm on guard in the presence of my enemies. Toil and hardship follow me daily, and death is to be feared chief among all else. This psalm is told from the first-person perspective, but I don't think it's a personal psalm. I don't think this psalm is chiefly to be read by individuals. Rather, I think this is a psalm of the church, by the church, for the church. I think this is a psalm to be read in community. And here's why. There are many days that I want to believe this psalm, but deep down There are many days when I feel like I'm a sheep on my own, and I have to make it my own way. I have to find my own pastures and my own waters. I can't risk resting. And on those days, I need you to believe this for me. I need you to model this for me. I need you to show me what this faith looks like. One of the beautiful things about church is that we proclaim things that on most days seem unbelievable. And yet they are things that are so beautiful we desperately want to believe them. And we need each other precisely for the days when it is so hard to have faith, when we don't quite believe. But on those days, someone in the church believes. On the days you don't believe, I believe. On the days I don't believe, you believe. And on the days neither one of us believes, the rest of the church believes. And we pull each other along until that time comes when we all believe all the time that the goodness and the love of God will follow each and every one of us all the days of our lives, and we have sure faith that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So today I want us to end reciting this psalm together. We might not believe all of this every day. There might be days when it's hard to see the goodness and mercy of the Lord constantly with us. There might be days when it's very easy to see the goodness and mercy of the Lord all around us. We might not believe all of this every day. There might be days we really want to believe it, even though deep down we don't. There might be days we can't possibly believe it because the weight of the world is too heavy. And there are days when we surely do believe it. For all of those days, and for all of us, let us say this psalm together. Each of us coaxing the other to believe it a little bit more. That the Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil